listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for being here this morning. We are in the last week of a series called Church Hurt. Now, I pray God has been speaking to you. I pray that God has been moving in your heart. I pray that you've been able to deal with some hurts and some struggles. And if you haven't been here and you haven't been able to experience it in person, I pray that you've gone back and looked at the playback on, on uh, freedomdl.com or even like following along in version. There's a, the app you can follow along in the notes. Um, but I, I want you to get this in your system because it does involve hurts that we do endure in church. Remember, church is full of people. And when you have people in anything, you have the potential for hurt. Broken humans can hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. That's a saying that we hear a lot of times in church. Now, the church isn't supposed to be a place of hurt, but sometimes it can be. Just like in your families. Not all of the hurt you've experienced has come from church. A lot of it's come from your family. And it could be something as simple as your brother giving you noogies on the head when you're a kid. Or it can be abuse. It can be just things that something that your dad said to you when you were five years old and you cannot shake it. Every time you go into an interview with somebody for a new job, you hear your dad saying you're never going to amount to anything, boy. That's the stuff we're talking about, breaking the power of those things. So the first week, we acknowledged the hurt. The second week, we forgave the hurt. Come on, advanced Christianity. That's a tough one. Third week, we talked about how we can prevent the hurt. Well, this week, we're going to talk about being the healing, okay? What the church should be. That's what we're going to be talking about today. You know, there, there are a lot of things that we think the church could be. And if I were to ask you to make a list of all the things that you th- think church should be, like how should church operate, how should it function, um, I decided to do some Googling and just look around and see what other people had to say about this. I, um, I found uh, 10 things churches should do. I found 7 things you want in a church. I found 11 traits of a healthy church. I found this is the one thing churches should do. I even found this one. 5 things the church needs to stop doing right now. You can find it all over the map. You can find everything. I found a sermon from Charles Spurgeon from 1878. 8,000-word sermon. To give you some context, my messages are on an average of 3,000 words, 35 minutes. That's an hour and a half. Oh, Charlie Spurge is talking at you about what the church should be. We don't have that much time and you don't have that much listening capability if we're honest but community commitment involvement worship evangelism i mean the list would go on and on so how can we narrow down who the church should be and what the church should be doing in 35 minutes well let me read you this this bible verse matthew chapter 22 verses 34 through 40 it says this but when the pharisees heard that he had silenced the sadducees they gathered together and one of them a lawyer asked him a question to test him Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So how do we put it all down into a single message? We have to do what Jesus did and put the entirety of the law and prophets down into a single message. He narrowed it down to two or three commandments that were based upon what the rest of them were built upon. Okay, we have to remember that God wants to put us in a position to where we can be healing in people's lives. Now, remember, we're not the ones that are healing. It's, it's the work of the Holy Spirit through us. But remember James chapter five, where the Bible says that you go to God for forgiveness, but you go to people for healing. So whether you like it or not, it's going to take other people in your life 
to heal. So again, how do we do this? Jesus whittled it down to three things. Jesus was and is, though, more concerned with your being than he ever was concerned about your doing. So we are influenced by what we believe, by who we really are. So, or what you do is, rather. What you do is influenced by what you believe. Remember, you're not what you eat. You're what you believe. Okay? Nobody ever ate a Frankfurter and turned into a Frankfurter. But if we look hard enough, we can see that in his summation of the law, he focuses on who you are. Here's what he said to him. It's not about doing, and you can go to 1 John chapter 4 and kind of get the basis of what I'm talking about here. But he says, first, there's this love of God. There's that love between you and God, okay? It's understanding that you're loved by him and therefore can love him. Your first thing is understanding that because you are loved by God, you are capable of loving him. It all starts with your relationship with him. In fact, a lot of times people, they, they tend to fall out of love with people, right? Divorces can result from that, all this kind of stuff. I personally think that whenever your relationship with God is not where it needs to be, it is impossible for you to effectively love that person. Some of y'all married up in here know y'all can't love your spouse all the time. You know what I'm saying? Like They will invent buttons to push in your life. Where were you? How come you didn't come home? This, this is why. <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> Husbands, look right at me. Come on, look at me. There you go. But if you are not effectively being loved, how can you effectively love? The second part is the love between you and people, which is understanding that because you've received God's love, you can love others. You see, you're not supposed to be the fount of love. You're supposed to be the conduit of love. It's supposed to flow through you like piping. And sometimes we get in a place where we think that we are the fount of love. No, you're not. You're not. And if your relationship with God is not where it needs to be, it will show in the fact that you have a hard time loving people as God loves people. And that's the third part, the love between you and yourself which is understanding who God is, who you are, and that you should love what God loves. It is incredibly difficult to love people like God loves them if you are not being loved, if you're not receiving God's love. You understand what I'm saying? So if you think God doesn't love you, how are you going to love other people? And what will happen is you'll see other people being loved by God and it'll make you jealous because they're being loved by God. That's a telltale sign you have an orphan spirit. It's so much the same thing with being who we are supposed to be as the church. If we can understand a few things and really embrace them, then we can not only help people deal with existing hurt, but we can actually help prevent it and bring healing to that person. Okay, so just like Jesus whittled down the law and the prophets, three things, we're going to whittle down what the church should be doing to three things today. You ready for it? The first one, drum roll, it's a no brainer. Love people like duh, love people. Well, what does it mean to really love someone, though? You know, there are common thoughts on love. Like, when it comes to romantic love, it's like, you complete me. We live in a cynical world. A cynical, shut up. You had me a hello. <laughs> you all girls watch the weirdest movies. You know what I'm talking about? Like, or like the notebook. What do you want? I don't know. Well, then how am I supposed to know? That's what every guy wanted to say. What am I supposed to do? You know? That's romantic love, though, to us. What about friendship? The whole band of brothers idea. Man, we need that. I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't have a squad in your life of people, uh, I saw a TikTok this week that was, they have refrigerator rights. That's the people that can just bust up into your house and open the fridge and get whatever they want. You know anybody like that? 
like, it's kind of weird to me, like, okay, number one, why are you looking at my fridge? Like, that's my bacon, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, um, why are you even looking at this, you know? Um, but let me ask you this, do you have that person that has refrigerator rights to your heart? That can be able to speak something to you and you don't get angry at them? But you realize you love me so much that you would rather risk offending me than letting me continue on how I'm living. That's what we got to have. Um, what about kids? You got to come through me first. That's that mentality. Let somebody treat, mistreat your kid and see what happens. Who did it? And where was it? The Bible, though, says in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. See, that's a sacrificial love is what that is. It's, that's the love that Jesus had for us. It's, it's love that's not expecting a return, but just for the sake of of the object of our love being saved. That's agape love. That's exactly what it is. So is God really asking you to lay down your life for someone? Like to die? Now, I don't think necessarily he's asking you to physically die for someone. It might be. I don't know the situation. Okay? But, but what, if, what if over coffee on a Thursday morning... You're sitting across the table from somebody that's walking through the very thing that almost destroyed you, that you've made it through. And rather than you laying your life down physically, you unroll your life like a scroll before them and say, look, this is where I struggled with this, but God came through. And this is where God spoke to me and my life changed. And this is when the people that love me the most left me. And look at this spot. Look at the tear stains on the scroll in this spot. This is where I was hopeless to the point where I had no clue how I was going to survive. And that's where God met me and changed my life. That is you laying your life down. We're thinking of laying our life down. God is saying, lay your, open your heart and let people see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Some of y'all are like, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do this in ministry. I wish I could do it. You can if you will just open up the scroll and let people read your life. That is laying your life down for a friend. But there is a principle here that's, that's a, a bigger principle at stake here. It's loving without condition. It's interesting to me that when you lay your life down for someone, you can't possibly reciprocate from that. You're dead. The only person that can benefit is the person that you loved. That is unconditional love. It is loving simply for the sake of the person, not for the sake of what is reciprocated. Romans 12, 9 and 10 talks about this. Don't pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. So first we have to hate what is wrong. Hate what is wrong. This is a clause for those moments when the person is engaged in something that could potentially make them unlovable. You know anybody like that? It's like you're doing stuff that makes you unlovable. Listen, you have to hate the sin in them. You have to hate the wrong in them. But you don't hate them. It's a love the sinner and hate the sin. That's what this whole, that's what this whole is about. That's, what, that's where it's rooted in. But then you have to hold tightly to what is good. This is a clause to remind you to hold tightly to what God gave everything for. Don't forget that God loves the person that hurt you as much as he loves you. That is a hard pill for us to swallow. Because it's like, I want God to hate that person as much as I hate them. But if we're talking about hating people for doing wrong, does God want to start with you? It's the truth. That's what we have to, that's the problem is we want God to meet justice on somebody else. But we don't want him to start with us. Uh, Do a few when you get tired. Then come talk to me. You know what I'm saying? 
It can be so easy to hate the sin and hate the person. But God wants to remind us of two things. Number one, we're a sinner that needs uh, love too. And number two, they're just as worthy of receiving the righteousness of God as you are. They're just as worthy. We have to be careful that we're not embracing hatred of them more than we embrace them. Now look, that does not mean that you've got to go to your abuser and hug them up and say, look, it's just righteousness on you. Don't get legalistic about it. But you definitely need to have that moment in your heart. And that's where God wants to get you. When you put the wrong in them and the right in them in the proper perspective, you can actually love them like God loves them. You can literally separate what they've done from who they are. That is hard. Because if somebody murders somebody, we call them a murderer. If somebody abuses a child, we call them a child abuser. We instantly label what they've done to who they are. And this is what makes it difficult when people change. Because when other people who have not seen the change see you now in your state, they still call you by the name that you were. So you better have had a moment with Jesus where you realize I'm no longer what I've done. I am who he says I am. And then when you ever, whenever you talk to the person that's still referring to you by the way that you were, this is where you tap into Romans chapter 12. And you hate the wrong and you embrace and love the good. I can love the person and I can hate what they're saying, but it doesn't make me respond with an attitude towards them. I just have to realize they just don't know the new me. This attitude makes you choose kindness over attitude. It, it's God's kindness, remember, that leads people to repentance. No one was ever one to the Lord having a Bible beat over their head. It's His kindness. And you know something else? You're never going to fix a broken thing by beating it to the ground. People too. When we actually love people, we find ways to honor them rather than uncover them. 1 Peter 4.8 says this, Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sin. Uncovering exposes. This is one of the reasons why we like gossip so much, like our flesh does. Do you know why? Because when we gossip, we're uncovering what they did in order to gain followers to our side of the story. Well, it's crazy. It, 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 just, it makes our sense of justice squirm with delight. Yes, you hate them as much as I do. Oh, we're a team now. But love covers sin. We all want justice until we're the ones that were wrong. All right. Most times, though, you cannot have justice and restoration okay justice and vengeance walk hand in, vengeance walk hand in hand but forgiveness and restoration walk hand in hand justice and restoration vengeance and forgiveness they won't work because they're unequally yoked that's what it means now why are they unequally yoked it's because justice and vengeance are all about getting even but forgiveness and restoration are all about getting righteousness there's a big difference so actually loving people, what does, that mean? does that mean letting them get away with the hurt that they've done to me? No, it, it actually helps keep you from hurting other people, okay? Here's why, like, loving people is an invitation from God to see the best in them no matter what they've done. This is why you like being around positive people. A positive person can see the nastiest mess and see some good out of it. Yeah. They can, and we love that. There is a sense of love that comes with that. Why? It's because... We kind of want them to look at us and see greatness in us. And if you're around that person and they're constantly pointing out what's good and everything around them, you think that they think the same thing about you, that they're looking past your mess and see something worth it 
inside of you as well. And that makes us feel good. Secular love, though, says, I want you to have what you think is best for you. That's not how godly love is. Godly love is, I want you to have what's God's best for you. Okay? What you want will lead you down some really bad roads. If you want any proof of that, just take a look at your life and identify every single situation where you know you didn't go the right path. It's super easy to see that one. When we seek justice, we might say we want God's best for them, but we really just want what's best for us. That's not love. That's selfishness is what it is. It's fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Okay, so what about the honoring bit, though? How can we honor somebody that intentionally hurt us? Because honoring, you think of like, they get up on a podium and they, you say good things about them. Mm, how do we do that? This is the trick, though, of the enemy in this area. Okay, he makes you think that justice is how you handle hurt. And America has done a pretty good job of enforcing that, too. Reinforcing that. Because as Americans, it's especially hard for us. We want our justice. You know, we want people to pay. You know, we will get them. It's very hard for us to understand forgiveness. But when you reach for justice instead of love, you get even. But you also can easily hurt people in the process because you're so singularly focused on you getting even. So for many of us, it really isn't out of hate that we're doing that. It's out of an intense desire to know why you did what you did to me. In fact, I've talked to a lot of hurt people. And they don't necessarily want vengeance against the person. They just want to know, why would you do this to me? Why would you hurt me like that? Why would you say that? So why is that such a big deal? It's because of the value side of it. This is why you have to see that honoring someone is not about ignoring the hurt or letting them get away with it. It's about righting the wrong, but in God's way, not in our own way. Look at what Romans 12.10 says. We just read it a second ago, but it says, Love each other with genuine affection, taking delight in honoring each other. You see, when somebody hurts us, it devalues us. And so our natural fleshly response is when I feel devalued, is I devalue you back. Okay? Because number one, you're not going to be higher than me. I look better than you. I dress better than you. I make more money than you. (laughs) Come on. We want to devalue that person to equalize the valuations. We feel that devaluation, and what it does is it devastates us. It hurts us, and that's exactly what Satan wants. And so what he wants you to do in return is to devalue that person. They treated you badly, so you treat them badly. How many of y'all cold shoulder people, huh? They hurt you, and you're like, like, no, okay, oh, you must be mad, okay. We cold shoulder, or we actively treat them like trash. It becomes a vicious game of devaluing. But here's why I, wrote, I, I, I read that verse to you in Romans 12.10. It's because that word honor, if you look at it, in Greek, it's time. It means to honor. It means to respect. Or listen to this. To perceive the value of. Why do you need to really love people, even people that hurt you? Because if you don't, it's impossible for you to properly perceive their value. And if you can never see their value, you can never see their restoration. Let me take it a step further. If you can't see their value, you don't want their restoration. Because restoration means they're worth something. And how can you be worth something if you hurt me so bad? How would your life change if rather than seeking justice and getting even, you begin to love, to honor 
and to seek restoration. We have to actually love people. The second is this, we have to build people. Some verses here, Romans 15, 1 through 2. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. I constantly talk to my kids, especially while driving, um, because it happens a lot while you drive, about being considerate. A blinker is considerate. Not pulling out and going 22 in a 55 when the car behind you is going 65 because it's Texas. Uh, some of us got that. We get, some of us got ticket money. You know what I'm saying? Like, like 99. It's not a raceway. Tell your mama. All right. Like, I'm about to see what this GMC will get. You know what I'm saying? Like, we we've lost being considerate in the world today. Consideration is thinking about how your actions are going to impact the people around you. I, I was talking to William the other day about it, and um, I said, let me give you an example. Um, a lot of times right before mommy and daddy go to sleep, we'll just kind of look at our phones or something like that. So if I'm laying in the bed already, and I'm looking at my phone, and Monique gets in the bed, I will turn my volume down slightly so it doesn't, it's not affecting her negatively. That's silly, but, but it's a consideration. Okay. But, but you have to be considerate of other people in the church. Remember, not everybody is as holy and saved as you are. It's some people in here that still have addictions. There's some people in here that still, yeah, they were at the club on Friday night. I would never go to the, I would never go to Rowdy's, right? Maybe God has dealt with you on that. But maybe he hasn't dealt with them on that yet because they got some other stuff he wants to talk to them first. We've got to be super careful. I'm going to get off on a tangent here, but we have to be super careful. We don't start giving a list of sins and start rating them on your scale. Got to be really careful we don't do that because you can get so deep into judgment. Boy, you don't want to miss heaven because you're spending your whole life judging people. Man, the Bible talks a lot about people who said this, this, and this, Jesus, but weren't feeling it, weren't experiencing. This is something I'd, I really focus on a lot, is making sure that I don't tell y'all so much about Jesus that I forget to have a relationship with him on my own. And if I'm, if I'm not in an active, engaged, flowing, developing, growing relationship with Jesus Christ, I can get real easy into judgment. You know why? Because it's easy to judge people that I think aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. I ain't got a mirror at my house nowhere. But look at what it says. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. Let me tell you something. It's really hard to judge somebody and build them. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Well, that's a call. Like, I'm not called to minister. you called to follow Jesus Christ. That's, that includes you. Being unified. When's the last time you experienced humility and gentleness and patience with someone? Let me see your driving record. (laughs) Ephesians 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints, that's to build up, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow 
so that it builds itself up in love. Here's what I want to tell some of y'all, that if you won't do your specific role in the body, it literally means that other people are not going to be able to grow as a result. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. Hear me now. You have the potential to stop hurt before it even starts simply by being a loving builder in the house of God. That's what this verse means. Look at the language of building in the Bible. It's constant. Okay, but no matter the organization, listen to me, not everybody has your best interest in mind. It's true. Why? Because they're humans. They're humans and and they mess up. They mess up too. So here's what you have to do. You need a squad. Jesus had a whole bunch of people following him. And then he had the 72 that he sent out. And then he had the 12. But y'all, he had three. They were real close. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember the five. We say this all the time around here. You need somebody that knows you, knows God, loves you, loves God, and has your best interests in mind. That's not 50 people. That's three to five people. That's somebody you can call no matter what. They'll answer and they'll speak life. Hey, listen, they might tell you something you don't want to hear. But if they say it and you don't want to hear it, that lets you know right there if they're in your squad. We naturally want to avoid those who seek to tear down, but we want to embrace those who build us up. No one ever, no one ever got angry and upset and offended by a genuine compliment. Okay? Hey, you look incredible. I love your hair. Hey, I wanted you to know that I'm offended because you prayed for me and God actually showed up and did the thing you prayed for. He came through. But how dare you assume that I needed prayer? Said nobody ever. When we edify, it at the minimum makes people feel cared for, but at the maximum makes them feel genuinely loved. This is how we build people up. Now listen to this. You can't build someone up and tear them down at the same time either. So you're either a part of the problem or a part of the solution. You're either a part of what God wants to see happen in their life or what the devil wants to see happen in their lives, okay? You're either gracious and merciful and considerate or else you're selfish. If not selfish, then what else would make somebody want to tear somebody else down? When somebody comes in here and they're not living the level of Christianity that you're in, why would you want to tear them down? It's like I want to go over there and I want to get on my hands and knees in front of them and say, stand on my back and peek over the fence of who you could be. And then let me help you get there. But they're going to trample on your back. Great. If it gets them over the fence, I'm all in. See, that's love. That's how to build people up. That's what we've got to be doing. Our relational lives should be focused on how we can help each other by encouraging, by speaking life, by building up people around us. You know, last week we talked about Nehemiah and how in one hand they had a brick and in one hand they had a sword. And listen, you, you, for one thing, church people are not your enemy. All right? People in general are not your enemy. Satan is your enemy. Okay? So, so whenever, whenever you're around people, understand that you need to drop the sword and carry the brick. Like, let's build people. Let's be people who build, the, build, build them up. Oh, they're coming in ruined and, and messed up. Let's build those people back up. But if you see the enemy coming, throw the brick and get two hands on the sword and go to work, y'all. That's what we've got to be doing. We've got to build people up. A great example of this is with Jesus and Peter. Now, I'm not going to read the passage, but y'all know this when, it's, when Jesus said, hey, who do, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they were like, oh, Elijah, John the Baptist, all this. And 
Peter said, you're Jesus Christ. You're the son of the living God. Boy, Jesus, that's my boy. Yeah, my father revealed that to you, he said. Flesh and blood didn't do it. And he says, and you are Peter. And upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Like, yes. Like, come on. What if you were Peter in that moment? You'd be like, where the gates at? We're going. All right. Like, uh, you'd have been ready to go. Hell with a water pistol. But Jesus was excellent about calling that greatness out of them. And when I thought about it, I thought this. When you spend more time looking for greatness in someone than offense from them, you get a front row seat to the greatness that will spring from their lives. Man, we need to be in that game, don't we? Four verses later, Jesus called Peter Satan and told him to get behind him. Listen to me, that was building too. That was building too. You don't need yes people, you need godly people. You need somebody that's willing to have a hard conversation with you to see God's best in you. And you know, sometimes in ministry, I've had to build people, but I've had to tear some stuff out in the process. Some bad theology, some hurts from the past, some wickedness and brokenness. We, uh, when I renovated our house in Longview, I had to tear stuff out. I mean, my goodness. Um, I've been working on a, a camper trailer at my house, and the, uh, what we thought was fine on the slide out, a quarter of the floor was completely rotten. And I didn't know it until I slid open a little piece of the plastic and looked, and it just fell out on the ground. So I had a cry moment where I was like, what do I do? And then you know what I did? I started fixing it. But to fix it, I had to make a cut into good wood. That's why it hurts. Why are you taking that away? That's good. Because if I don't have something good to bond to, it will never be restored. So I had to pull the bad out. And you know what happened? Is the more I pulled stuff out, the more I realized there was a problem. So now I'm replacing some studs. I got, a, I got a floor in this, a floor in that, and over some studs. Oh, that, that bolt is bent over. I got to get a new one of those. That's exactly how your life works. That's exactly how the process goes in you. So don't be afraid to come to somebody and bring your little rotten floor only to find out that you got rotten studs too. Thank God that somebody loves you enough to get their hands in the mess of your life and restore you. Jesus, help us have a heart that sees past the mess and into the final product. I would have never been able to fix that had I not in my mind seen what it would be when it was done with. Do you know what? Sometimes in that process, I would go to the other side of the slot out to see how it was supposed to be so I could come back and see how it, how it was. That's what you do in church. You don't look at other people and think, God, I'll never be that. You look at other people and say, that is my tackling fuel. That right there is what I needed to see in order to make sure that I'm doing everything God's called me to do. It's a beautiful thing. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That's what we're talking about here. That corrective moment might hurt, but from someone who loves you and is trying to build you, not only is it beneficial, it feels good. Lastly, and this is a quick one, do what love does. You know, before I talked about doing versus being a little bit, God is exponentially more concerned about who you are than what you do. Because if he can get to who you are, he can change what you do. Because what you do always follows who you are and what you believe. And so that's why God leads with kindness, not with anger. Because if he can help you understand that he's not 
the mean, scary God that's just trying to kill you every time you mess up, you can understand that, wait a minute, he might, he might be worth allowing to dig in a little bit deeper and get a little bit deeper inside and actually adjust the things that you've been believing about yourself, your thought processes that make you do the things that you don't want to do. It's this kindness that leads us into that whole process. Okay, but but loving people requires you to be loving. Uh, Building people requires you to be a builder. It it, it requires it. And that means it's more than just what you do. It's who you are. So are you a people that you don't just love? You are loving. Are you a people that don't just build you? You walk in looking for somebody to build. Who can I encourage today? Well, who can I build up today? When we were walking out from worship, I leaned over to a couple and I just said, I'm proud of you guys. Why? Because you're the pastor. That's what you paid to do that. No. You know what? I could have just kept my mouth shut and walked on back. Everybody knows it's lots going on on Sundays. Some of y'all tell me that all the time. I know you're busy. I don't want to. No, talk to me. Talk. Yeah, yeah. I'm not here for lights and sound. I, I love y'all and I want to build y'all. And you know something else? I don't want it to just be on my shoulders. So we've created a team here that's focused on loving people and building them. Because we want a culture at Freedom Church where you walk in and you experience love and you experience development. That's what we want. Well, you didn't say you experienced Jesus. That's because it's all woven into that. You can't experience love without experiencing Jesus, man. Such a beautiful thing. These are intentional, though. They have to flow from who we are. Um, A guy who isn't a builder but does some DIY work on the side isn't a builder. He's a weekend warrior. It's a lot of people like that in the church. That Sundays, they look like a builder. But not Friday night. Not Thursday when you need them. They look the part on Sunday, but they aren't the part any other time. I don't want to be that person. Okay? And can, can I be just really transparent with you for a moment? Um, I don't ever want you to think that I'm, I've like got all my stuff together. We well, did preach it, you know all this. I, I struggle too. I struggle sometimes when, when, when my, my desire for just a spotless integrity, when I'm by myself, can, can easily fall second place to what my flesh wants in a moment. Okay? Does anybody else struggle with that? Or am I the only one that, that has to fight that demon? So, do you know what helps me? Be better. By the way, I'm not a perfect Christian. Not by a long shot. Okay? I sometimes look at Jesus and I'm terrified of how not like him I am. But when I look at him, what I realize is he's not after my my behavior. Jesus ain't after my deportment as the older generation would say. He's not after my, did I get an E in conduct? He's after my heart. And he knows that I have a heart that wants to do what's right. It's like Paul said in in Romans. I know what I'm supposed to do. Anybody else ever want to punch yourself in the mirror? Like, you idiot, what are you doing? You know, But, but listen, when I'm around a group of people who love me and who build me, it's so much easier to be a solid Christian. That's why you need to be in the house. Okay? I, I, God bless people watching online. I know some people, they actually can't physically come. I get that. 
But as often as you can be in God's house, you need to be shoulder to shoulder with somebody that loves you enough to build you. When you do what love does, you get what love gets. What if you love someone rather than sought revenge? What does it mean to love them? 1 Corinthians 13 talks about this. Just this last verse here. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being of, of wrong. Or, uh, keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. Is always hopeful. Endures through every circumstance. Does this describe who you are when it comes to others? Are you are you long suffering and patient? <laughs> You know, that the easiest way for me to fail on that is with my kids. Kids are an easy target, aren't they? Them jokers can push a button, too. Daddy-daughter date yesterday. One of my children, I'm not going to say which one, um, <laughs> didn't get what she wanted, so she sat there and stared at me <laughs> like that. So I just folded my hands and I very calmly said, do you think you're going to win? I wasn't talking to her. My sweet girl. Rebellion will not win at the coward house. But listen to me. Rebellion's got to stop with me. Before it stops with her. So how does it stop with me? I've got four guys in this audience right now that get to say whatever they want to to me, whatever. Well, you're the pastor. You, no, whatever they want to say to me. And then if they won't say it, I've got a group of three guys at New Covenant that'll say it. And if they won't say it, I have a group of 12 pastors in a group called My Brotherhood that'll say it. I need them. It ain't just me and Jesus in this thing. It's me and Jesus and the squad and the group, and the church, and the family. We need each other. And we need to love. If you love people, you'll build them. If you build them, you'll heal them. Yes. So how do we tie all this together? It's, it's simple. How can we do these three things when, when people have been hurt? How can, what, what does this have to do with healing? Simply this, is that healthy reveals unhealthy. You know, when I got to New Covenant Church, it was the first time I was at a church that I considered really healthy. Um, there's this couple, couple, I'm going to see him next week when I go to conference at Next Level. Um, she is a fitness instructor, and he is like a strong dude. Like he's, and not like one of those like, like that guy, but he's just like a, <laughs> it's like, you know, the guys that are super strong, but they can't open the bottle cap, like not that guy. He's like just a, he's like, he's like um, strongest man competition strong. Them dudes look like they eat a bunch of potatoes, you know what I'm saying? But they will lift your whole house, you know what I'm saying? Like. And so I remember one time, last time we were down at conference, I was, I was standing there at a barbecue place next to this couple. And I went, I'll have the brisket and broccoli. You want to roll? I can feel healthy by myself. Come on, church, hear me. But when I'm next to a healthy person, I see how unhealthy I am. 
And at a lot of churches, they'll let you know how unhealthy you are. But at this church, we will love you to health. And not send you away. Healthy. I got better because I was finally finally in a place where I could learn what healthy was. Here's the second part of that. Safe places create opportunities for God's graces. When someone is safe, they're willing to let their guard down, to open up, to be vulnerable. Actually allow God's grace to move in and clean things up. People can heal when they're not in danger of being hurt again. So let me say it like this. The more passionately and perfectly we can love, we can build others up, we can do what love does, the more powerful, and look at this, the more rapid the process the healing becomes. So, what would happen if we chose love over justice? What would happen if we chose to build people up rather than tearing them down? What would happen if we really chose to do what love does? How would your life be better? How would you be better at rejecting offense? How would you be better at helping other people around you be healed? So here's how we're going to land today. I'm going to ask you to do something bold. If you're in this room right now and there is something that is so painful to the point where it stopped you dead in your tracks, this is your moment to heal. So here's what I want you to do. Again, this is a bold step. I just want you to raise your hand. I'm hurt. I'm hurt. And I, I'm, it's like it stopped me in my tracks almost. I, I, need, I need something. Okay. I want everybody to look around right now and see these hands. You put me on the spot, preacher. You dig them right I am. Because you know what? Whenever you lay down on the surgeon's table, they put that bright light on you. And what's lit up, darkness goes away. So... I want you to remember the people that you saw those hands up. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to be the church. And we're going to be the healing. So anybody you saw with the hand up, I want you to just get right now. Let's everybody, let's, let's move around them. Put your hands on them. And let's pray for them. If you need to raise your hand again so people can see, put your hand up. It's okay. Now, listen, I, I, I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to Here's what. Sometimes you just need to put your hand on somebody's back. Because just letting them know that you're there means everything. If you want prayer, go ahead and raise your hand. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and His people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on Freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.